welcome back to the JCMS podcast. I'm Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery and a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Calgary. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to speak with the author of another article that was selected for CME credit in the July-August 2018 issue of the journal. I chose the article, Clinical Texting Among Medical Trainees at the University of British Columbia for CME credit because I thought it was the future. It is the way we as dermatologists are going to manage patients and help our colleagues in rural and remote locations. Dr. Kitson is assistant professor at the University of British Columbia and attached to the rural and telemedicine program at that institution. He and his co-authors, Dr. Gao, Fan, Ho, and Polovich, have given us a very thoughtful approach and have outlined in detail how exactly they help their colleagues in rural British Columbia. Well, thanks for joining me today, Neil, and I appreciate your accepting the invitation to, to talk about uh, your article. Um, I was struck by, the, the, by one of the comments you make in the article, and it says, who's not texting? I thought that was enlightening. And how did you come to this discussion, and what drove you to do all this? My own motivation is often a mystery to me, but I'm from a small town in northern Ontario, and my original intention was to be a GP in the bush. And my mother reminded me some years ago that I'd been talking about it as a medical student, and I'd forgotten that. But it seems to me being from a small town, Kenora, Ontario, which is about two hours uh, east of Winnipeg, mm -hmm. And if you want to see a dermatologist, it's at least two and a half hours west of Winnipeg, six hours east of Thunder Bay. I'd like to say eight hours south to the Rochester Clinic and 12 hours to the north in Chelyabinsk in Russia. I actually looked it up. It's two hours from Moscow. But anyway, the point is in the wintertime, it's going to be difficult to get to see a dermatologist, particularly with your elderly mother. And I think what really made a difference to this project is the introduction of cameras on cell phones. So my motivation really was to see how much we could do, because I suspected quite a lot could be done, by transferring photos and having discussions with local GPs. So the focus is not on seeing patients this way, it's, it's talking to the local GPs and developing relations with them and also providing some education at the time of consults so that skills could be transferred from the consultants to the local GPs who are often very competent in rural areas that just have had no dermatology training. Yeah, it's it's my experience that we, we undersell our family practice colleagues um, dramatically. They can accomplish so much, in particular in dermatology, where there's such yeah. visual and we can give them support. I mean, and I agree with you. This this phone tool has been great. I mean, I think the number is 50 times a day that people refer to their phones. Yes. Just for social reasons. Uh, to use it as a clinical tool, it's fantastic. So I see you, you know this texting for, for health, if you will. Um, the education component, the clinical care component is sort of what drove it, but education, collegiality, there's a lot of soft stuff around this that, that, that seems to be even more important than, than the clinical care. It encourages um, our colleagues to work, seek out advice, um, and easily do it. 
when you when you looked at the texting and and I saw you broke down the 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 people that were actually texting, you know there was a in dermatology we like clinical images and when I'm on call, I don't have to go in the hospital that much anymore. The residents send me pictures, and um, the picture quality is pretty good. So so the security is always something that bothers everyone in that isn't actually out there in the field using the tool. Um, can you give me some sense of how you got around that in your own head? Do you, do you encrypt everything? Do you not put patient names on? Um, are you afraid of the security uh, mm -hmm. the privacy commissioner? Uh, so I, I'm influenced by my rural colleagues and particularly John Polovich. So he's a name that will keep recurring. He was a GP in Fraser Lake in Northern BC and then he moved down when his kids hit high school. But he's always been a bit of, uh, uh, has a lot of imagination. I met him early on and I adopted his model, which is basically of three parts, that it's helpful to have the consultation, the education, and the relationship. The security, he said, well, his attitude was always the horse has left the barn uh, because people are doing it anyway. Maybe this is controversial. I like to think of the Vatican as the powers that be in, in medicine. And the Vatican really thinks people shouldn't have sex before marriage, but everybody knows that happens. So if you're gonna have sex anyway, you let's have safe sex is the sex education. So our attitude is let's have safe text. Whatever anybody said, it's going on anyway. So the thing to do is reduce the risk. And the fact is in our preparing for this paper and our other projects, we've looked at how many breaches have actually occurred with text messaging and photos. And you could say it's none for practical purposes. There are a handful of breaches reported by all the health authorities in that we surveyed, which is all the health authorities in BC. And there are one or two actual mistakes. Somebody dialed the wrong number. Oh, let me tell you a story. So, I was phoned initially in this by a hospitalist who said uh, early on in the game, I'd like to send you a picture. And I said, sure. So he, he said, I want to be sure I get your phone number right because yesterday I sent a penis to the wrong number. So that <laughs> that actually, I think, would be the, a good title for a talk I would give to the CDA. But uh, that's the worry, right? Um, right. The fact is that faxes go to the wrong number all the time. There are thousands of faxes each year that the health authorities send to the wrong numbers. And everybody doesn't seem to mind. Not that they don't mind, but nobody gets excited about that. I think it's the pictures that really worry people that are going to end up on Facebook and uh, reveal people's, not only their identity, but, but a lot of personal details and pictures that people don't want on the internet. And you see the CMPA is worried about that and you can understand why, but when they sent me a very nice summary, as we say in the paper of their data for five years, and there are almost no breaches using text messages, maybe a handful. And some of those were unprofessional as in people sending messages and pictures they shouldn't send anyway. Okay. So even though it's the wild up West out there with WhatsApp and FaceTime and well, you know all the apps. Everybody's doing it anyway without any significant problem. And the fact that everybody's doing it, I think, tells us that it's people find it useful. 
Yeah, I, I quote from your article, uh, clinicians will inevitably choose the easiest means of communication to provide the most effective care they can. And uh, clearly, um, clinicians will do that. I mean, the fa- what, when are we going to leave the fax machine behind? <laughs> I mean, and it, it just, I can't imagine that with all the potential breaches and, and who hasn't sent a fax to the wrong telephone number, yeah. that, that it still exists. And it's still the primary uh, approved method of uh, communication for us. It's, it's just silly, yes. given all the portals that uh, people have. And I, I do take your point about, it, it, it brings me to portals. I do take your point, though, don't overcomplicate this. Yeah. I think I think you're, you make a point in the article is, this is a phone technology. Everybody carries it around. It's easy. The minute you start to introduce portal and privacy, uh, security, security, firewalls, passwords, you kind of take away the usefulness in some respects i should think yeah the people my colleagues think you introduce one more click into it or one more step it makes it less desirable to use well we saw the failure of the um the distant consultation where we have you know the live one where you have the dermatologist in a room and the patient and a caregiver in the other room it just it's just untenable um you know because of time and getting people in the same rooms but whereas you in the gain in the article you talk about the store and forward and uh, yes sounds like it's going to be the the technology that wins the day yes i think the store and forward dermatology app which is invented by jackie rao in edmonton uh, as consult derm uh, has been bought by bc but people will say even that sometimes is a bit uh clunky they have a phone app as well we think it's great technology. We're not in competition with it. But despite that, what I say is we continue to get, people will phone me and say, can I send you some pictures? Can I talk? But essentially, people, yeah. I think, are clinicians, are social animals. We like to talk to each other. Right. And when you've got a problem, it's there's something you get by phone call that you can't get over the computer necessarily. Yeah, and Consul Derna, I've, I've used it, and it's not clunky. It's it's it just takes you have to sit down. It's not a time on thing where I think your point's well taken. With the phone, it's it's the introduction. Yes, of the conversation, right? Yeah. Yes, and people do it with each other. The other interesting thing is nurses do it. Nobody's talked about that. There's a lot of use by nurses and nurse practitioners, particularly out in in rural areas. So again, it seems to me very useful, and people do it. So if we're all going to do it, let's let's do it with our eyes open and find the easiest way to do it that that and then people can relax about the privacy and and we can consider the standards for how we do this so one of my pet sayings is that the thing that led to the end of good medical photography was the cell phone yes um because we the pictures that sometimes i get are bizarre and they're cluttered and they've got jewelry and underwear and people's hands and faces and 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 so do you do you give a training session for how to use the phone and get good pictures? No, but I think that's a good idea. We haven't had any formal thought as to how we would go about doing that. The residents are trained in regular photography in our residency program. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got to the cell phone yet. But in practice, I find that people worry about the quality of the images. Sometimes it's so good that that you there's no question about what, what you're seeing yeah and even if it's not perfect you can get the idea often and and sometimes consults are not about 
diagnosis necessarily, but we know the diagnosis, eczema or psoriasis. And they want to send a photo because treatment A isn't working, treatment B isn't working, and what do I do now? Yeah, I'm impressed that you, you do the photography thing because the, the course in photography isn't about the equipment. It's how to take a decent picture because the equipment doesn't matter at the end yeah. of the day. It's how to take the picture because I don't, I, you know, I've had lots of resident experience in on call and stuff. I've never seen a resident carry a camera. No. Um, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, ours I mean, do. They carry a cell phone, right? <laughs> Yours do carry cameras? Um, yes, they do because they want publication quality being in dermatology photos. Well, being the editor of this journal, I can tell you that there are lots of people trying to get that cell phone picture published. <laughs> and it's not that great often. So um, if you can get somebody to to understand cell phone technology well enough to give good clinical courses, that'd be fabulous. I, I, should, I think think about that for the for the CDA meeting. How to use your cell phone properly for pictures. Yes, and also for security. UBC has a set of educational modules about how to use how to protect yourself and your cell phone and devices for privacy and security. And if you follow those rules, which are not particularly difficult. We think you're secure. We, we don't think we need any special apps particularly. But the authorities, as in health authorities and the college and the CMPA, would prefer that it's encrypted. I have to say we have an encrypted app that works all across Canada. BlackBerry has a secure network. It meets all requirements. And its servers are somewhere around Waterloo. And it's encrypted to, I guess you could say military grade because it sells the thing to the Pentagon. So for- Right. For, do you need a BlackBerry to do it? No. To use it though? That's the thing. You don't. Yeah. You can use it on any phone and it works like, it. once you're in it, it works like regular phone and text message. How do I get it? How do, how do we advise our readers how to reach out for that? They don't sell it by retail, presumably because of drug dealers and, and so on. So you have to be an institution. You have to be a legal entity to buy leases. And our legal entity is the Department of Dermatology and Skin Science at UBC. I'd like to talk about fees for doing this. I mean, money drives most innovation. Yeah. Um, how are you funding this? Um, or um, is, is, has the BC government stepped up with a code uh, for dermatologists to use this? There is a new code for store and forward that applies to consult derm. But if we'd started at the top to try to get a fee code for it, I think we would have gone nowhere fast. So what I do is build a telephone consult fee, which there is one. The fact that I'm using pictures is a sort of add-on, I guess, and there's no separate fee for that. So as usual, the, the fee schedule will catch up at some time to what we're actually doing um yeah and, and may or may not make it worth our while to continue doing it um, but the, the feeling of of usefulness of the technology rather must be spectacular talking to somebody in northern british columbia yes and helping out somebody that hasn't had to travel for six hours or could never have traveled yes to see you i mean the utility is is uh, incredible it may be that for rural and remote areas which has been our focus that the fee-for-service model is perhaps not the best one. And it might be, say, a contract with a health authority to provide the service, mm -hmm. as there are indeed some uh, doctors on contract in rural areas, because fee-for-service means um, they're poor. 
you're not going to make a lot of money doing this sort of work, probably. But the ideal is for me to do what I'm doing with you today is sit at home with my fluffy bunny slippers and a, a cup of coffee and have people beaming in from all over the province. But really, it also involves knowing the people who are calling you to some extent because they, they've they had the experience of phoning the city to talk to somebody, anybody, and have been brushed off or condescended to or not taken seriously, whereas... A lot of these people in the rural areas do everything. They go to accidents, they deliver babies, do cesareans. Yeah. As I said, we undersell them and their abilities too often, I think. Yeah. Is there a future to this? Is there future work going on to to try and, and, and get this into the mainstream? Yes. I think it's probably going to work better from the ground up than from the top down meaning that the more people see a model for doing it, the more they'll be interested in doing it themselves. And I think the future will probably have a lot more of this in it. And I think a lot of what we do every day in the office can be done one way or another remotely. And the ideal would be to free up time so that we can see the more difficult cases at more length so my reform would be that we get paid a lot more per consult, but maybe we do harder consults and do some of the more routine stuff remotely or through education. Does that make sense? It does. So listen, we've I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered your whole paper. Right? Is there anything about the manuscript that you wanted to, to speak about? Well, first of all, uh, Danny Guo was the resident who did a lot of the work and uh, Nam Fan was a family practice resident who was working on it as well. He'd done this sort of work before. And Nam suggested one question we ask is to how many people back their stuff up to the cloud. This is a security question. And quite a few people had no idea whether they backed up to a cloud or not or where the cloud was. So that's one thing that I think is important because if it's all sitting somewhere in Apple headquarters, over the border, that's not allowed. If you look at the way medical information is supposed to be handled, it's supposed to remain in Canada. So the fact is that with a few simple things like not backing your medical images up to the cloud and deleting them from your phone and having a way of erasing your phone remotely, a lot of those, those things could be dealt with. Yeah, well, it seems to me, I mean, the problem would be, you know, we're not supposed to destroy medical records. Yes. And once I engage in this conversation with my remote partner, um, I am making decisions based on that photograph. If I've you know, not nailed it correctly or it's done correctly and the wrong therapy is given or something, I'm there with no backup. I have nothing. Yes. How do you cope with that? The, I mean, the photos have you know. to go into your EMR, or, which can be transferred into your EMR from your phone or into whatever secure storage message uh, method you have just like taking a photo in the office and yeah so the point is create a chart for the patient yeah. so the hall side or hallway rather consultation isn't what we're talking about That's right. we're talking about creating a patient file putting the pictures into the file recording what you say or making a note yourself as to the advice you gave mm -hmm. and and treat it as a well the serious situation that it is it's it's medical information you're being a doctor you're giving advice and um you should 
not use it just simply to here give me some advice on this it's more a matter of okay sorry but i have to formalize this so that i can keep track of it yes and that's the collegiality in the and so you're when you're talking to these people in northern uh, northern british columbia i'm assuming it's a group i mean it's you've established relationships with groups mm-hmm. who either keep the records or they can send you down the patient demographics that's what happens they can they can send them down Sometimes people send them by fax to keep it in the different stream and, and so on. But yes, we both create charts and it becomes a formal medical record. When the pictures are being transferred by phone, do you use initials or do you use a patient name? How, are there tips that you can give us um, with regard to, to what you practically do when you're, sh- when you're sending off these photos? Well, the easiest practical way is to have the GP, when you're talking to them on the phone, give you the demographics and you copy them down. That's the simplest way. Yeah. Um, if I've got, if you've got a secure app, you can take a picture of the demographics, which is really the easiest thing to do. If you've got a chart label, you just take a photo and send that. And sometimes the GPs up north take a photo of their EMR screen and, and the demographics and, and send that to me. Probably there's a much better way of doing it. But for practical purposes, again, you don't want too many steps to make it too clunky or people will turn to something else. Okay. Well, to finish off, I, I wanted to congratulate you on spearheading this work. I, I think it's it's really, um, I, I'd like to say groundbreaking, but it, the ground has been broken. You're just utilizing it to the best potential that we could use it, right? That's the idea. Yeah. And before I would let you go, I just, I, w- I wanted to tell you this, this Privacy versus Canada Health Act story I, I really liked. And I think the Canada Health Act and, and your use of it is its, it's overarching principle is it's the health of Canadians that we're really after. And as you point out, clinicians will use whatever we can to make people better. So thank you for for this work and bringing it to our attention. Well, thanks for talking about it. it. It's fun and I think more of it will happen. I just want to get a comment in that when you talk about groundbreaking, I'd like to say we didn't create this project. The project came to us because GPs started to send us pictures and then it was the obvious, well, how can we do this better? Okay. Well, all, all good things start at the bottom and no to necessity. So yes, that's I great. Think that, yeah, I very think that's good. right. Okay, Neil. Well, thank you very much. Okay, cheers. Dr. Neil Kitson is an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia and the co-author of the article, Clinical Texting Among Medical Trainees at the University of British Columbia, in our uh, July, uh, August 2018 issue of JCMS. To my mind, as a clinician, here are some of the key takeaways from our conversation and uh, from the article itself. First, I want you to think of this as an advance in technology and understand that Dr. Kitson uh, was in Vancouver, uh, I'm in Calgary, and the editor uh, of our program is actually in Ottawa, and technology allows us to talk to one another as if we're all in the same room. Dr. Kitson has taken this further and uses the technology to actually store and forward pictures and use those pictures to help our northern colleagues manage patients who might otherwise have to travel for hours and hours and hours for dermatological consultation. In his article, he and his co-authors stress the fact that the Canada Health Act really does trump any privacy considerations and that our goal as clinicians is to help people and to help people in any way we can. I would echo that and I would say also that 
please take great pictures if you're going to do this because that's what makes a difference. Take a course, like his residents take a course in clinical photography. And the other thing I think that's really important in our discussions was remember that you're carrying these around in your cell phone. So delete them, put them on a medical record. And I think that was quite clear. This, is, this wasn't conversation just to, for a hallway. This is a conversation that was for a medical record and doctors at both ends were making charts and making this a proper dermatological consultation that has meaning and uh, it will be useful to patients. So I think I would echo uh, Dr. Kitson in saying, please reach out to your more rural colleagues. This is a useful skill and a useful technology and do whatever you can uh, to make it happen for you and uh, your patients uh, and your new patients uh, in a more remote location. Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews Podcast. I'm hopeful that you enjoyed your time with us, then that you subscribe and share this with your colleagues. I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be good to each other.